just want to say, I know Stephen said it's his first time preaching. And you know, I just want to say, first of all, you know, one of the things as a church, to me, a good, healthy church is being able to produce leaders that can preach the Word. And part of that, I mean, this man says it's his first time preaching, and I know how daunting it can be, especially with new faces. I mean, he's used to, he's our, one of our youth, he's our youth leader, so, but it is a different context here. And so, uh, we just want to stand, just pray over him, you know, as God releases him. And Father, just as an eldership, we want to just pray for Steve, Lord, right now. As he shares your word, I know he doesn't take it lightly. He takes it with all, all seriousness. But Lord, I want to pray for the freedom of the Spirit this morning within his heart, Lord. That he's, he's not here to come with wise and persuasive words, as Paul says, but with demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. And so, Lord, won't you just work within him now, Lord, as he just speaks your word, as he's been, been preparing his heart this last week. And uh, just, yeah, just pray that uh, the seeds that, that are sown this morning would penetrate our hearts very deeply, Lord, that it will bring conviction, it would compel, it would uh, just encourage, it would do what it needs to do, but it will not return void in Jesus' name. Amen. I've tried a, a tablet before, but it's too small. And I'm in my 20s. I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> And um, I can't read my own handwriting, so that leaves me with a laptop. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I'm very excited to be sharing this morning. As I said, it's, uh, it's my first time, well, at least uh, in front of uh, a crowd that is not uh, teens. And I'm not sure which one is more difficult. I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Actually, it's funny that Benny mentioned it now because uh, that's exactly how I was going to disclaim this whole thing I was going to say, Paul's words. Christ did not send me to baptize and preach the gospel, so I'm not, uh, but, but to preach the gospel and not with eloquent, eloquent words of wisdom, uh, lest the cross be emptied of its power. And I think that's quite significant. Um, I think the moment we try and be clever, we just take away all of its power. So... Yeah, I'm just uh, excited to see, share without any fancy word what God has laid in my heart. I should say that I'm probably going to use my notes a bit more like, uh, than guys like Benny and Bob and guys, because uh, I, I haven't got my memory down yet. But anyway, so yeah, um, I don't know uh, if you guys know, I used to work in the travel industry, um, and I traveled quite a bit, bit and I don't know who of you are, are regular travelers, but... Uh, the world has some weird stuff out there. Like, we, we get excited when we think about places like Europe and Asia. I don't know, I'm not excited about Asia, but, uh, but, but Europe and the Western world excites me, specifically, specifically the architecture and stuff like that. But it has some weird stuff, and in particularly the food. Um, yo, it's hectic. I, I don't know if you guys have read some articles online or even tried some of these uh, things on your own, but I'm just going to give you some examples of things that you can get out there that's pretty normal for people to eat. In France, you can eat frog legs. In Colombia, you can eat giant eggs, which are uh, the size of your thumb. Uh, um, ant eggs, which are the size of your thumb. Um, live octopus in Korea, raw horse meat in Japan, and you can have pickled swallows in Laos. That's some of the delicacies that you'll find when you go outside our beautiful country. <laughs> And that's just to name a few. And um, I don't know uh, who of you are brave enough. I wouldn't consider myself a conservative eater. It's this is not rice, flesh, and groente, but this is way out of my comfort zone. So um, 
And the reason for that is uh, probably because you don't always know the origin of things. Like you don't know where, where they got the food, you don't know how they processed it, you don't know where they kept it until now. And most of these stuff are normally served on street food markets. So it's normally quite exposed to the elements and flies and... Anyway, so the reason I personally wouldn't eat it is because it's probably not clean. And it's, I don't know how pure it is, how long it's been maturing. Um, um, so, so that's for me. But that actually, that is my question this morning. And that's what, what I felt God laid on my heart, is to, to ask the question, who has decided, or who gets to decide what, what is clean, what is pure? Um, and... Um, I feel like uh, Acts is going to answer that question for us, because uh, that's what God laid on my heart this morning. But um, the piece that I'm going to be reading from Acts 10, um, it, it's in a time which is seven years after Jesus' death um, and resurrection and ascension. And um, I just want to give you some background as to what happened in the past seven years. Obviously, a lot has happened, but in terms of the early church, what has happened was the following. Matthias became an apostle, replacing Judas. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Um, Peter did miracles like Jesus did. He, uh, he preached and he healed. Um, John and Peter were both arrested um, and once again released. Stephen was stoned to death, became the first Christian martyr. Um, Saul from Tarsus per starts persecuting the Christian church as a Jew. Um, the Ethiopian Enoch gets converted, which was also a big deal. And then the soul I just spoke about actually gets converted the Damascus Road experience, we all know about that, and he actually becomes a champion for the faith. So I think that's some crazy radical stuff, and that's just in the span of seven years, which in biblical terms is really little time. I mean, it's, it was written over hundreds of years. Um, so it's seven years down the line, and I, I probably shouldn't say this, but I've always felt like Peter was Jesus' favorite, and uh, I don't know if, if anyone agrees with me. It's like he really liked using Peter. Um, not, and nothing that Peter did or was made him so special, um, but it was just his obedience to the Lord. Um, so years, seven years down the line, Peter finds himself in a town called Joppa, which is in modern day, I don't know who knows Israel a bit, but it's where modern day Tel Aviv would be located, or affectionately known as the White City, which is a beautiful, I think it reminds you a bit of the Greek towns. It's these white buildings right on the Mediterranean, great climate. And Peter just visited this town on a bit of a mission trip, and he raises a sick lady from the dead. And obviously, that is a pretty cool party trick. And so the locals of the town, um, sorry, I don't say that lightly, but the locals of the town says this guy has something on him, and they ask, they ask him to stay a few extra days, um, just because they, they feel like there's more that can happen in, in town. Um, so now he is, the first significant thing for me here was, um, I've always wondered about this before I really started like, digging into it. Uh, when did the, the Jewish faith start um, being separated from Christianity? Because up until this time, they were all just Jews with a revelation of truth. They didn't regard themselves as anything other than Jews. They just knew Jesus was the Messiah. So, so a lot of the, um, the Jewish customs were still quite strong in them. And so first of all, the interesting part here was that uh, Simon was in the house of a tanner, which is uh, someone who... I don't, have, I don't know these things too well, but as far as I understand, it's someone who takes animal skins, processes it to, to make use, usable leather from it, I think. Yeah. So this, first of all, is crazy. For, for Peter to be staying with this guy, he's, he's working with dead animals, using their skins to make stuff. That's not kosher. So, so that's quite um, significant to mention. So Peter already had a bit of a, 
understanding that, um, that there is a smaller divide than what the Jews of the day realized between the unpure and, and themselves. So, um, as I said, uh, Tel Aviv is where Joppa would have been, and then when you, and it's still like that in, on the modern day map, just 60 kilometers north, you will find a place called Caesarea. I had to practice to pronounce that. It's all sort of things, Caesarea, I don't know. It's all sorts of, so Caesarea, I used Google Pronounce for that. Um, so that obviously uh, deriving from Caesar, which is because it was named in the time of the Roman Empire. And so Caesarea is actually where Acts chapter 10 has its beginning. Um, and what's significant about Caesarea is the Roman province of Judea was... Um, that was the, the headquarters, and it's quite interesting that, that Jerusalem, one of the biggest cities, wouldn't have been that, but it was quite a key city for the Roman Empire. Um, and so, I, yeah, I would like to unpack Acts 10 a bit and read it with you guys. If you have your Bibles, well done. If you don't, there's one there. Um, yeah, so let's read Acts chapter 10. Cool. At Caesarea, idiom up. Um, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. So I just quickly want to give some context. A cohort was a military unit. So this centurion would have been like a military commander of what, is no, what would be a modern-day battalion. And these cohorts consisted out of about 480 to 500 soldiers, uh, but they weren't just normal soldiers. Well, they were infantrymen. Um, but each one of the 32 uh, Roman provinces had only one of these cohorts, and they were basically like the SWAT team of the Roman military. They were like the A-team, specialized, tactical, and there was only one per province. So basically, in Israel, there was one unit, and they were stationed at Caesarea. And then the, the commander of this unit was Cornelius. So he was a pretty big deal. He was, he was basically one of only 32 such commanders in the whole of the Roman Empire, which was very extensive at the time. And uh, needless to say, in a position like that, um, you are a, dedicate, a, de a dedicated servant to Rome. Your, your loyalty lies with the Roman Empire, um, who is um, the oppressor of Israel at the time. Uh, so from verse 2, so they're talking about Cornelius, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously uh, to people and prayed continually to God. And that's quite weird because we just saw this guy who works for the Roman Empire. He oppresses the, the nation of God, but yet you see that he, that he had a sort of revelation because he is a God-fearing man. Um, any, uh, from what I read, any remotely patriotic Jew at the time would have seriously and sincerely hated this guy. And not for who he was as a human, but simply because of the title that he held. Um, and, and what he stood for in, in his job. And, um, and so God must have showed something to him. There's a, a commentator, Hughes. He writes, Cornelius was in the category of what the Jews would have called God-fearers. These were Gentiles who loved the God of Israel. They were sympathetic and supportive of the faith, yet they stopped short of becoming full Jews in lifestyle and in circumcision. And from verse 3 we read, About the ninth hour of the day, he saw, so the ninth hour would have been 3 p.m., because for some reason they started counting at six in the morning. So about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly a vision, um, in a vision, an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa 
and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, um, his house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So, sorry, I just want to adjust this thing. Cool. So it might be worth mentioning that uh, it doesn't sound like a lot. 50, 60 kilometers is what we drive. I don't know how much is, is that nice now, roughly? I think it's a bit shorter to Muscle Bay. But if you take that on foot, that's a 13-hour walk. It doesn't say he gave them horses or fancy uh, chariots. He sent them on foot, and that's a 13-hour walk. And they had two amazing options. Of, uh, I don't know where to adjust it, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, thanks. So basically, um, they had two options. Oh, thank you, of roots, uh, which was quite luxurious. The one option was to walk in thick beach sand for 13 hours, and the other option is to walk on rocky desert road. So quite the, the treat. But the fact that, that, uh, that Cornelius sends them right away without hesitation on a dangerous, first of all, dangerous road full of um, bandits, and you know, you find these in the deserts at those times. That's how a lot of the, what we would call nomadic people made a living by robbing people on these uh, isolated roads, but he sends them nonetheless immediately, some of his best friends and most um, devoted soldiers. Um, and there they go. From nine, verse 9 we read, The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Um, I've been very hungry, but I've never started hallucinating and stuff. <laughs> I've never been in that position before, but I can imagine that you're in the Mediterranean town. Um, it's beautiful. The weather's probably, you can hear this uh, good, and the seagulls are mewing in the background. I can imagine why I would find an excuse to pray just a little longer on this terrace in this lovely Mediterranean town. Um, not long enough maybe to fall into a trance, but nonetheless, that is what happened to Peter here. And... Um, in this vision, this is what Peter sees from verse 11. And he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, it seems about right. When you're hungry, that's what you're going to be having visions about, about food. And I think at this point, Peter probably dismissed it for being a, a, a desire of his more than a, a, some vision that God has given him with profound meaning. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, as we just said, he, he was quite a devout Jew, which means that you can't just go and eat and kill everything. It's, it's quite specific what you're allowed. So let me just touch on that again. And he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet des uh, descending, being laid down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter. Kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And when they use the word common, um, yeah, they normally refer to something that was not holy. In other words, anything that was holy that came into contact with something that was unholy, it just became common. I think the nice word is something is desecrated and consecrated. Uh, but basically, uh, he says, No, Lord, I, I can't eat everything because it's not holy. Um, 
And the voice came to him again a second time, and he said, What God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up into the heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for, um, for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And obviously now, God, res- God responds to him. It, it actually starts by saying he, heard, he hears a voice, and then it goes on to say, actually, this is God speaking to him. It's not just a, a random vision of food because he's hungry. So soon enough, he realizes God is really doing something here. And in verse 19, we read, And while Peter was pondering on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one that you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright. So they're basically just telling him what happened. Caesar, a centurion. Cornelius, the other C, sent uh, for him, and it's because he had a vision from, from the Lord. So there they go. Another 13 hours up the beach sand or the rocky road. It's not easy, but there they go again. And then in verse 24 we read, And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was already expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. And the NIV says to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And here the light bulb goes on and Peter realizes God really was talking about the people. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then, why have you sent for me? And then Cornelius goes on to explain to Peter once again in depth what the Spirit has shown him and that he asked him to come to, the, um, to Cornelius. And in verse 33 it says, Now therefore we, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So here... Peter finds himself in the house of a man, a centurion, a servant to Rome, along with his Gentile friends, waiting to hear from him what has God said to him. And um, I think this is, for me personally, in Acts, this is one of the greatest moments. Because I think, I don't know, I think it's about a, a year later, literally a year later in Antioch, after, um, um, what's Paul's friend's name? <laughs> the other, Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas spends a year at the church, and there, actually for the first time, they, are, they become called Christians. And this is, it started right here when they said, when they realized that there actually is no separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, and they have an equal chance at God's redemption. Um, so I thought that was quite, um, quite significant. And then, then he goes on to share the good news with Cornelius and his high society friends, political, military guys, um, it says, yeah, and his close relatives. Um, but what, um, what happened next was really, for me, very special. He speaks to these guys, and he's, uh, do, he's, he's basically giving them the rundown or the elevator version of the gospel. 
and he's telling them everything that Jesus was born, and he came, and he was crucified, and all the miracles that he did, and everything in between. And the next moment, I think he was probably standing something like this, doing his level best, except he probably was a bit better at it. But he was standing here, and the next moment, mid-sentence, he was just interrupted by the spirit who falls on everyone. They're just slain in front of him. And it's nothing that he did. And I think that was amazing because it clearly, it clearly shows us that if the Spirit isn't doing it, then it's not going to happen. And I think it, it took the obedience of Peter to just go there and say a few random words, but the Spirit is the one who did the work here. Um, and in verse 44, while Peter was still, yeah, sorry, that's where it just says this. While, was, while he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the, the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Any, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. Once more, Peter is the popular guy being asked to stay a bit longer. But there was an anointing on him, and the Holy Spirit just needed him to say yes. And then he did his thing, which is incredible. So seven years had passed at this point, and we see incredible miracles. So you might wonder, why is there such an... Why is there such a watershed or significant moment? And it's because all this time we hear of miracles of lepers uh, being healed and people being raised from the dead. But I don't know if you've realized the, the, the golden thread in all this time was uh, these were all Jews. Um, uh, Jews were being converted to the faith um, and the knowledge of Jesus and accepting him as the son of God. But never have you seen, it's unheard of for a, a Jewish man to walk into the house of a Gentile and saying, you are equally clean to me. I think if the, if the Pharisees, who we read about a bit earlier in the Gospels, were to stand outside that window looking in like they were in the habit of doing, they would just faint, like flat out. I, I can't imagine them being okay with this. Um, but that is when the disciples became known as Christians, distinguished of those who realized that God chose both the Jew and the Gentile. Um, yeah. So just to clarify, the term Gentile in those days would have been anyone who did not accept the God of Israel as their God. And in modern day terms, just to make it a bit more applicable, I think it would be anyone who does not accept, I don't know, Jesus or, 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 the, or the faith that we have. And um, so just any non-believer or a sinner, regardless of moral standing or character, because nowadays it seems like that's the only qualification to be a good person. Um, and we were all sinners as well when Jesus found us. I, th I think we sometimes forget that. We don't think much of ourselves, but we forget because we are now knitted into the family, and we forget that is exactly where we were when Jesus found us. Um, yeah, and if it wasn't for the obedience of Peter here, maybe many of us wouldn't have been sitting here today. I mean, that was many years ago, but we all know how the escalation thing works. And so maybe if, if one guy said no, a lot of, half of us might have been sitting somewhere else right now. Um, but it just took the obedience of him. So um, I, I, I don't know who's been in Josh Jen for how long, and, but you obviously realize that we really are all about church and family because that's the way that it's preached in the New Testament. And so we are tightly weaved together here as a family. We're building into each other, um, keeping one another accountable. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. We're building into the bride of Christ um, 
But when um, does the point come when you take the equipping and the revelation and the gifting and all the encouragement that we place into one another and take it outside of the confines of these walls? Um, surely there must be something to do with what we've had. And I know we've been focusing the last while a lot on evangelism. And um, honestly, if you would have asked me um, what do I think a good idea would be to share on, it wouldn't be along these lines because I feel like we've had probably about six preachers just in the last quarter on evangelism. But uh, God is saying something. He's trying to put something within us once again. Uh, Matthew 28, but it, it, Jesus says to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And Mark 16 says, Go into all the world and the whole creation. And Jesus is very lost. That for me already says it. The, literally the very last thing that Jesus says before he disappears into the heavens is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And um, people always say, be careful to use words like all and always. But, but clearly this is exactly what Jesus did on purpose. He, he uses words like all and whole and ends and everything. Um, so I think I'll take it seriously when, when Jesus uses words like that. And... Uh, so I'd just like to unpack, uh, thanks for bearing with me as we read through an entire chapter, um, but I think there's something very significant in here, or, or a few significant things, and I'd like to unpack it a bit and just um, maybe focus on five points, which would, I think would be good for us to take home today. The first point is, God has called them. Um, in verse 3, Cornelius, um, sorry, well, I can just, so in verse 3, we read that uh, God comes to Cornelius, or the angel comes, and he says, Cornelius, literally, on his name. He could have said Gentile, Roman, centurion, or guy, but he says Cornelius. And I think that is beautiful. God, when he called us, he called each of us by name. When We know the old story. When he created the heavens and the earth, he knew each of us who were going to be here. And so it wasn't just the select few or the elite ones, because I can tell you... Um, if there's somewhere an elite group of people, I'm not part of them. Um, but God knew my name before he created me. And so just as he knew my name and your name before he called us, he knew Cornelius' name as well, the name of the sinner. Um, and I think uh, that is uh, something that God is trying to show us, that there are lost souls out there. And God, when we walk out of these doors, um, the last while has been a blessing. We've seen a lot of homeless guys coming and sitting in our meetings and and do we realize that when we walk on the street and we see these guys, I don't know his name, but God knows his name. He knows exactly who this guy is. He knows his next step, his previous step, his whole story. He knows the reason why he's there. And I'm probably just thinking, get a job. But Jesus knows his name. Um, and I think uh, Jesus intercedes even harder for those guys uh, with the Father. The second, so that's the first one. God has called them. The second point is uh, God has cleaned them. In verse 15, the voice came to Peter again a second time and says, What God has made clean, do not call common. Um, when Jesus died on the cross, that is how he cleaned us, how he cleansed us. With the, it, it was the blood of Jesus that did that. And he didn't just do it for us. He did it for us and everyone because we are them or we were them. He died for everybody. Um, repentance, of course, is needed, but the price has already been paid to take away that label of sinner and to be called a son, everybody. And the third thing is, God has sent us. Verse 25 starts with the words, 
when Peter entered, and I think that is probably the most, uh, the three most important uh, uh, words in this whole chapter. Because if it wasn't for Peter to go to cross that, what's he, uh, le- ledge? How do you, when you go under a door? Anyway, the into the house of a Gentile, nothing would have happened that happened here. And so Peter physically had to take that first step. Um, and yes, God could have done what he wanted to do if it wasn't for Peter to take that first step, but he, he would have to use someone else, um, and God wants to use us. And what's quite special is it says, um, well, he explained to Cornelius that when, he sent, uh, when I was sent for, I came without objection. And um, I'll, I'll tell you why I think that's special just now. Point number four, God has saved us. And that for me is almost the reason why God has sent us. It's because God has also saved us. If God has done this for us, it should be such an, such, such an urgency should be about us to have the same for other people. Um, I, this is actually um, a conversation I've been having with Alicia for the past two years. I don't know why it's been taking this long. <laughs> but I've been saying the constant theme that God has been putting in me is I need to love people more. And I, I love people, but I love these people. Uh, do I love the people outside? Do I love everyone else? Um, and he's still working on me. Um, pardon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's actually a bad joke. I often say I like dogs more than I like people, but that's not true. I like people. Uh, I just like dogs a lot as well. Um, but um, if, 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 God, um, if God saved us, that is the reason why God has sent us. That is the reason why we should be deeply convicted that we not, not having deserved it, should be the next ones to go out and to do that for a lost and broken world. And the final and probably most important point here is God has got us. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. That, for me, was the encouraging thing. Verse 44 says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell. And that, for me, was, thank you, Jesus. I think that was even for, for this morning, that was my thing. If, if, if there wasn't something like the Holy Spirit, I would have not stood here right now. I just... Um, even as I'm speaking, I know he's saying something completely different in your ears, and thank Jesus for that, because uh, he wants to bring across a message this morning, um, and he takes over, um, and that's something we can rely on. Um, it just took a first step, and I, I actually, I don't know why, but I just saw the Holy Spirit, if he, if he had to walk in, he would probably say something like, I'll take it from you, <laughs> and, and he would know he has it, um, and that's a great assurance for me. He wouldn't just leave us high and dry. Um, so yeah, this morning I really feel like God is showing us um, that he hasn't just made clean those who we see as such. He's made clean everyone. And everyone, you can't say everyone is equally deserving because we don't deserve it either. Um, but, but everyone is eligible for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. We are and they are. The harvest is plentiful. What is that scripture? The harvest is plentiful and the laborers of you. And, um, and I think this is what God is calling for this morning, for laborers that are willing and obedient and ready to do the job. And it is a weighty task. I don't know if you guys have realized, but Peter, and that's what I said earlier about Peter saying he went without hesitation. It was quite nice for me to read that um, Peter actually had a very bad habit. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but he said no to Jesus all the time, the whole time. Uh, he said, Jesus said, uh, let me wash your feet. And he says, no, don't wash my feet. He says, I'm going to be taken away to be crucified. And Peter says, nope, you're not being crucified. 
And here he says, uh, go kill and eat. And Peter says, no, his initial reaction. And it's funny um, that with this, um, the moment he said yes, that is when the heavens broke open and miracles started happening. And I think we do the same thing. Maybe we don't do it as confidently as Peter did. But I think, Loki, we're always like, maybe we have an excuse. Maybe we don't just say no, but we're like, Jesus, I think that guy's better at this. But actually, we are saying no. Um, but, uh, but Peter did say yes, and God um, did what he had to do. Uh, what was interesting for me was that Jesus first, or, or, or God first spoke to, Peter, to Cornelius through an angel, and then he spoke to Peter through a vision, or a trance as they call it here. But the, when he wanted the Gentiles to hear the gospel, he actually chose a human being to do it. And that for me was, uh, the, I mean, nothing happens by accident. If God says, I'll show you this, I'll show him that, but when you share the gospel, I want you to do it, a man. God uses people, he uses us, he wants to use us. So maybe you're sitting here thinking, because I know that's probably, well, I wouldn't think I'm an introvert, but I would say I haven't got the right words. But maybe you are sitting here saying I'm an introvert, or I, I'm not very well spoken, or I'm shy, or... Yeah, I don't think that's a real thing, being shy. Um, my answer to you would be, um, I don't know who knows Mike Davies in Cape Town. He's one of the elders there. Um, I don't know if it's his quote, but I love it regardless. He always says, what makes you so special that God can't use you? If God can use anyone, literally anyone he picks, and you, says God, and you say to him, God, you can't use me, what you're saying is God, God doesn't have it within his capacity to use you. And so what makes you so special that God, and we know the answer to that, nothing. God can use you. Um, you just have to say yes. Um, of course, we all know the Great Commission was to go make better Christian out of all Christians. Um, no, it was that Jesus said, make disciples out of all nations. And I think it is quite comfortable. We realize that sitting here, we are all Christians and we all like each other and we worship in our homes and we... What's our thing? Pancakes and baking and all the things we do um, in George. George's is by like a yellow. And the beach and everything. But, and, and that's a, a, a beautiful little family we have here. And it's special and it's needed. We read about it in Acts 2. Um, but once we are, and that's I think what 4.12 and, and, and what Ephesians 4 verse 12 says, that is what this is for, to equip. And then we have to go out and use that. Um, and that's why just sitting in church is not right, but also just going out evangelizing and going on this mission trip is also not right. You need both. And I think um, it's quite obvious by now that God is saying something to George, and that is we need to make disciples. Um, not converts. That's not my words. I'm quoting someone else now. Uh, but disciples, and I think that is amazing. So whether it's the Malawian gardener or the Pakistani shopkeeper or the English I don't know, restaurant owner, what do English people do? I don't know. <laughs> um, um, or the policeman or whoever it is. Um, those are people that we see around us every day. These are the nations right here in George. Um, and I wonder if I ask you what separates us from the world out there, what your answer would be. There can be many clever answers and many things we can use scripture to, to say what makes us different from the world out there, but I'll tell you, the only thing that makes us different are the fact that we are on this side of these walls. Nothing else makes us different. Galatians 3 tells us um, in verse 28, um, and I'm thanks for that, uh, Benny, there's neither Jew nor Greek, 
No slave, uh, no, not slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So what is out there is actually just miracles that are still waiting to happen. And God needs us to, to, to be obedient to that. They don't deserve it. We never deserved it. And no human ever will. But God did give his salvation as a free gift to all of us. And I don't know about you, but that excites me to be sharing that with the world out there. So that is uh, what God laid on my heart. And I'd like to pray for us. Unless you have something else, Benny. No, no, you can stay here because I want you to pray for us. But I, I just felt just in line with that, you know, God wants to break prejudices within us when it comes to going to all nations. I think we, we might have it even if we don't know. Uh, it's not always prejudices between black and white or people with different cultures. It's the, there can be prejudices of whom we think God cannot save. And uh, I feel it's very unique that God used Peter from a place called Joppa. And, and the reason I'm mentioning this is it's almost like spiritually Joppa was a place of which God sent nations. Because you'd read in the, in the Old Testament the same thing. Jonah had the same issue. And God said to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and go and preach, the God, you know, go and preach my my word to them. And Jonah held back the same thing. He had a prejudice. He said, God, no. And God sent him to, through Joppa. He climbed into a boat and you know the story. There was a big storm. Eventually he got over to Nineveh because they threw him off the boat. And uh, God sent a fish, swallowed him, submarine ride all the way to Nineveh, eject system. He landed up in Nineveh and he said to the people, repent. And they all repented. And the amazing thing with that is, is you know, I've never met met a reluctant prophet that because God says, if you go, I'm going to heal them. And this guy said, well, I know you're a good God and you're going to do that, so I don't want to do it. But he, Jonah had prejudices towards Ninevites. And it wasn't because he didn't like, there was a history behind his people being um, persecuted by the Ninevites. And I, I just felt just in line with that. I think we, we can have personal um, prejudices because of things that have that have come into our hearts towards people. And God calls us. There isn't, like, like Stephen says, there isn't prejudices in God. Let's not reduce the gospel and make it small because we've got ideas how God must come and to whom God must come. And so just, uh, just in your hearts, as Peter, uh, Stephen prays for us, just, just that God would just put in your heart, even people that you know, that, that, that he's calling to salvation, and he's going to use you to do it. Normally, it's the people that you, you've got an issue with that God will use to, to bring those people to salvation. But you've got to die to self, and you've got to express the largeness of who God is, that Jesus Christ came to save the world. And, uh, and so, Peter, uh, Stephen, as you just pray for us with that, that we would be a people that are going, you know, that's, that's the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so, yeah. Yeah, if you don't mind, um, to just stand with me, because I think this is a response required from all of us. Um, I'll be the first to stand out here. Um, yeah, I do think that God wanted to stir something in our hearts this morning to show us that the divide is, is much smaller or even non-existent to what we um, previously thought. So I just want to pray for us. 
Yeah, Jesus, thank you that you came. Thank you that you died for us and your blood has washed us clean. And Lord, thank you that it wasn't just a few of us, a few ones that you have chosen, but it was all of us. And thank you that we can be reminded, not because of shame, but because of our testimonies, that we too were down in the dumps. And you regarded us, I don't know, worthy of your, of your, um, of your death and your salvation. So Jesus, I ask that you would show us this morning that your death was for everybody. You preferred when you were on earth, you, prefer, you always preferred to spend your time with the, um, the odd ones, with the tax collectors and the prostitutes and just all the, the guys who we would normally reject in our worldly view. So Lord, I ask that you would take out our eyes and replace it with yours. I ask that you would give us a burning desire to see this town and this world get saved. And I ask that you would show us the tools to do that, Lord. I ask that you would show that you would, um, you would open up our spirits, Lord, our spiritual ears so that we will hear when you prompt us and you call us, Jesus. Lord, I pray that if there are any hindrances within us, Lord, that is making us not to hear your spirit or callous, Lord, I ask that you would take that away, Lord. Yeah, Lord, this morning, I want to repent for not seeing them as you do. Thank you, Lord, that you loved us first and that we can love you in return and love one another and love the world. So as we just stretch out our hands to receive this grace, Lord, I ask that you would um, give, uh, we're not all great uh, stage evangelists or TV, what televangelists, uh, Lord, but that you would give us in our community, in our street, on our block, in our everyday activities, we had, um, I don't know, being a dance instructor or neighborhood watch patrolman or that, that those people that we see every day around us, Lord. It's so easy actually to go and to, to preach the gospel to a random stranger. That's what I used to say because I did sales. I said, I'll never see them again, whatever. I can embarrass myself now because there's nothing to lose really. But actually, what about the people that are closest to us? What about your brother? I'm saying that. What about my brother who needs Jesus so badly? Have we given up on them? Jesus, just break our heart for what breaks yours. Thank you that you are faithful and thank you that you are giving us the words and that none of, it, uh, none of it would be us, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.